Welcome to Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host, best-selling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting, Steve Prusak. Hello and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Juice Guru Radio. I'm your host, Steve. And on today's show, we've got David Rainishek. He's the co-creator of the 92-Day Juice Feasting Program at JuiceFeasting.com. We've got a link up to that at JuiceGuru.com. You're going to want to hear all about it. It's incredible. He's uh, been doing this for years now, uh, leading Juice Feast for clients worldwide, teaching about Juice Feasting and evolutionary transformative nutrition, coming up right after this with David Rainishek. Did you know you can make a great living in the hottest new business trend today? The Juice Guru Certification Program is the world's first online course to give you the knowledge and marketing skills to excel as a juicing coach and start making money in no time. Find out more at JuiceCoachTraining.com. Hello and welcome back. Welcome back to Juice Guru Radio. I'm your host, Steve Prusak. It's great to be with you again. And we're really excited today. We've got David Rainishek, co-creator of the 92-Day Juice Feasting Program. He's a professional coach, researcher, author, and world-renowned speaker. You can find out more about his work at davidrainishek.com. We'll have links at juicegururadio.com as well under today's show notes. Let's welcome to the show, David Rainishek. Thank you, Steve. We've been waiting a long time for this. It's been years, David. We wanted you on our original show. We wanted you on some of our summits. And, uh, you know, the stars align today. Thank you for being here. I'm really excited, if you can't tell. Yeah, me too. Let's start with your background, though, and how you got involved with juice feasting, how that all came about. And, and we'll go deeper with your work later in the interview. Yes. Um, little background on even getting to juice feasting. Um, I turned vegetarian in college, like a lot of people, um, because of an ecological ethic, which looks like 40 to 60% of us who get into vegetarian or vegan diets do it for that, and, um, and ate that way uh, for about 17 years, including my raw vegan years. I got really sick after walking the Appalachian Trail in 1999, which is 2,200 miles of backpacking. Uh, the elevation gain and loss is like climbing Mount Everest 17 times. So coming back off that, a lot of hikers are kind of beat up physically. And it's been a lot of grandma's cookies and Fig Newtons because you're resupplying in little tiny towns of like 200 people. Uh, so when I got back, um, my system went into chaos mode, and I was really sick for about three years. And I met a gentleman in Houston named John Rose who had discovered what we now call juice feasting, uh, which is that you can drink a gallon of fresh juice, fresh homemade juice, um, drink it at home or at work, drive your car, pay your bills, take care of your family, and you can do that for up to about 90 days and heal most of our major Western illnesses that are preventable. Uh, fascinating discovery. You should get, like, the Nobel Prize for it. Um, I encountered John Rose when I was um, in the pits of despair, basically, uh, with my health challenges. met him at a Whole Foods market. He was introduced to me, and uh, he said, you need to eat raw food, and you should do my juice cleanse. And he and I became really good friends and colleagues, and it took me about three years to realize that, that what he had taught me needed to be called juice feasting. But that's really what it was, is feasting on juice. And once, uh, once I coined that term and put it out on the web, I mean, it really took off. Um, millions of people know about juice feasting now. So I got into it because of um, goodwill towards all beings and then getting really sick myself. And I, I think that's a very common story uh, for a lot of us out there. There's some kind of a wake-up call. So when you first did it, I guess you embarked on your first juice feast, what kind of changes mm -hmm. did you notice or what was that 
process like? What were some of the challenges? Um, I didn't even know. I was John said you got to stop cooking any food whatsoever. You need to eat raw vegan, and so I had no idea how to make raw vegan cuisine. My first meal, I got up in the morning and I just cut up carrots, cucumber, and some zucchini, and just sat down to a plate. And I was like, I guess this is what raw food is, <laughs> and so I ate it. <laughs> and, and I started playing tennis with John. I was state ranked in Texas growing up, and he wanted to play tennis, so he started teaching me everything. And um, I noticed differences in my health within a week, and I had spent $50,000 on medical bills. I mean, that was my inheritance. I just spent it going to chiropractors and doctors and getting all kinds of tests, and no health professional could tell me what was going on. It was advanced adrenal fatigue. Uh, it was um, an advanced case of um, acid reflux disease and inflammation. All those things are with a high case of toxemia um, after walking the Appalachian Trail and eating um, not the best food, lots of processed potatoes, you know, instant mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese and um, uh, craft cheeses and that kind of thing, a lot of processed food. Vegetarian, but processed nonetheless, um, just because of what's available out there. So I, I started feeling better in a week. I woke up after a week for the first time in my, in, in my life, actually. I woke up and I just felt fine. Not just fine, like physically, I, I didn't feel agitated or angry. And even when I was a kid, I would wake up in the morning and until I had my orange juice, I was cranky. I was cranky. I was one of those people who should have the t-shirt on that says I get cranky without my ice cream or my bluebell. It was just that kind of a thing. And I was a really nice kid. I didn't have, get detention. I got straight A's. But the mornings were, I, I, it was hard. So I woke up and I just felt fine. I was like, Wow. That's interesting. I wonder if that'll happen again. It did. It just kept on happening, and I didn't wake up angry or agitated again. Um, over a three-month period of time, I did a combination of doing raw vegan and then doing a good, strong six weeks of nothing but juicing, juice feasting, so we call it now. And I integrated Richard Anderson's um, Arise and Shine cleanse at that time. I don't have my clients do that anymore, but I used that to kind of sweep everything on out more efficiently. And it was a radical change, 50 pounds of weight loss, um, no health challenges anymore. Um, it was like the whole nightmare and thinking I was going to die. I really thought I was going to die every day. Um, that was gone. That was gone. It was a dramatic change. I was so hypoglycemic, it felt like the floor was being ripped out from underneath of me about every minute or so. And that's not an exaggeration. I've never coached anybody in all 12 years that I've been a professional coach, thousands of people. I've never known anybody that had a case of hypoglycemia that was as bad as mine. Uh, it was it was off the charts and terrible pain in my chest with every in breath. I mean, you can just imagine if somebody had a knitting needle just jabbed in your sternum for every time you took an in breath. As a meditator, it was horrible. I, I couldn't meditate. I mean, I just focusing on my breath was like, why would I want to focus like strongly on the pain? <laughs> I wanted to forget, you know, the pain. So it was a radical um, um, transformation in my life, but one that was very understandable, very safe incredibly enjoyable. Um, I, like many people who go through massive healing, look back on that as one of the more sublime experiences of my life. And so I credit John Rose with saving my life. I mean, raw veganism saved my life. Um, and I'll never, I'll never forget that. So of course, like a lot of people who have that kind of um, super normal experience um, that changes their life that much, I wanted to find out why it was that raw foods and um, juice feasting had saved my life. And it changed it so radically. And so I set myself to studying it. I became a master's student with Dr. Gabriel Cousins in his master's program. And I, I did a three-year course of study with him with about a year and a half of postgraduate work, writing There's a Cure for Diabetes, 
um, which that book is one of his best-selling, if not his best-selling book now. Coaching the Fast at the Tree of Life, Redesigning the Master's Program, um, coaching the educational portion of the apprenticeships there, uh, both the kitchen and the garden apprenticeship. So I have all of that experience behind me. It's been, it's been amazing. You asked what was the most difficult thing about it? Mm. Um, yeah, the challenges. I've answered this question the same over the years. I, I answer it. The personal thing that was most difficult for me was nothing physical or changing my diet. It wasn't that. It was the radical change in my own life and seeing how incredibly healthy I could be, um, eating a plant-based diet, um, cleaning up my physiology and my biochemistry, and then seeing all the unnecessary suffering out there. Now, that's still, to this day, that's the hardest thing about knowing what we know. It's just you see so much unnecessary suffering out there, and it absolutely breaks your heart. We're going to spend $4.2, I think, trillion dollars on healthcare in the United States in 2015, it's going to go higher in 2016. When I, when, when I started this in 2004, the numbers were about $1.8 trillion. So it's doubled just since I crafted Juice Feasting 12 years ago. Um, it just breaks your heart. Who wants to see unnecessary suffering? I mean, you want to do anything you can to end it. And so I, I know that's why you've dedicated yourself, um, at least in large part, um, to this. Uh, it's because it's just it's heartbreaking to see. And yet, the flip side of it is, wow, look at what can happen. And you just see the stories over and over and over again. So we've put juice feasting out there. The introduction is free. It always has been free. I've had colleagues take my introduction and, and, and uh, charge for it. But uh, on juice feasting, it's always been free and always will be. Uh, the introduction for how to actually do this. I consider that knowledge, how to juice feast, um, something that uh, while we own it, we've put it in the public domain available to everybody. It should be a human right to know about it, mm. I think. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I did it myself years ago, and it was blogging that experience that got me a book deal with Penguin for the Completed Guide to Juice Festing doing that program. <laughs> so <laughs> I have so much gratitude right. for you and the work you're doing. And, and if you are interested in seeing the protocol, we're going to have a link up uh, under the show notes for Juice Guru Radio. So just check that out. We're listening to David Rainashek right here on Juice Guru Radio, a long time coming, co-creator of the 92-day Juice Feasting programs, uh, along with his wife, Katrina, so you can find out more about that. Uh, and other visionary work that he's doing that's just helping to change the world, and that's what it's all about. So thank you again for being here, David. It's really an honor. So thank um, you. The protocol itself, you you have to consume a lot of juice. And are you finding? I guess it's a two part question. Um, are people able to do this during their everyday routine, or are they uh, taking time off? And what kind of results are you seeing from from the thousands of people that have gone through the program? Mm -hmm. um, I haven't met anybody who can't do it, no matter what their career is or or what their time constraints are. Um, if, if people are determined, they'll do it. Uh, you can carry a blender in your car if you're on the road. I mean, there's Dave, the raw food trucker, who found out about juice feasting through the diabetes book that I did with Dr. Cousins and, um, you know, uh, has done it while he's traveled. And he's not a trucker anymore, but, I mean, he's traveled all around and done it. I've juice feasted out of um, hotels with using all the towels and setting up the Vitamix in there and doing it. I coached a, um, a high school, not a high school, an elementary school psychologist who was morbidly obese who had to drive an hour through traffic each way in Houston, Texas, and then work about 12 hours in the school system. And she juice feasted for 120 days, and she, she ended her morbid obesity. I think she dropped back about 80 or 85 pounds. Um, she started juicing at the end of the first semester, 
just feasted all the way through the second semester and halfway through summer school. I mean, just like a champ. I mean, she just kept going. That was amazing. Um, what do we see among people who juice feast? You're tracking back through what natural hygienists have called the seven stages of disease. And the seven stages of disease are basically, um, the first stage is what you're, we're actually doing it right now. We're sitting down. If you sit long enough, if you stay stagnant long enough, you're generating the first stage of disease, um, which is stagnation. Let, leads into toxemia, so toxins start to build up in the system. Instead of being moved out because you're moving your lymphatic system, breathing deeply, moving your blood, um, sweating, etc., breathing more deeply. So toxemia sets in, and toxins lead to irritation of your tissues. And irritation is kind of like uh, your kids have left socks around the house for a while, and you're like, would you please pick up these socks? Uh, that's irritation and then inflammation, which is the next stage of disease. Um, inflammation sets the stage for advanced stages of disease, such as uh, what they call induration and ulceration. You've heard of an ulcer being in the body. The body actually walls an area of itself off. could be really small, could be quite large, but it just can't get the toxicity out. It's been inflamed for a long time, and it just creates this little area, and it says we're just walling this stuff off since we can't get rid of it. And that is a thickening of your tissues. Nutrition can't get in. Toxicity can't get out, basically. Cellular waste cannot get out. And that sets you up for the final seventh stage of disease, which is um, in the natural hygiene movement called fungation, also known as cancer. Cancer actually is a fungus, or it has a strong fungal component. So what are people experiencing when they juice feast? Well, you're tracking yourself back through, down through these stages of disease to eliminate these underlying causes of disease. So you're getting rid of the thickened tissue. The tissues start to open up. Nutrients start to move in. Cellular waste starts to move out. Inflammation starts to get taken out of the equation um, based on how hydrated you are um, and how many micronutrients are in the juice, the enzymes that are in the juice, etc. Um, so irritation of the tissues starts to go down and then toxemia starts to leave the body. That's the second stage that just gets taken out. And um, generally, people who juice feast find themselves getting up out of their chairs and they just want to go outside and walk. Um, they, you, you just feel like stretching your body. Um, people are like, I'm going to go and get a colonic. I'm going to go do some yoga. I, I've got to move. This body has to move. I'm made to move. I can't help myself. I feel this energy surging through my body now. Uh, I'm feeling better than I have in my adult life. I've got to get out there and walk and run and bike and do things. So it's a positively um, evolutionary uh, thing. It gets you moving. So uh, diseases having to do with toxemia and inflammation um, uh, and fungus, things like candida, all get eradicated. And that's most of our Western diseases, most of them, mm. not all, but about 95%. And I remember way back seeing Angela Stokes, who's a big spokesperson in the raw movement or was for years, and, and she went through your program, and she, I mean, she was literally lit up. I think that's what inspired me to want to try it. And I remember at the end of my experience, my wife saying it was as if uh, a light was turned on from the inside my eyes. I was just glowing like unlike ever before. Wonderful. Yes. And I mean, um, some people's eye color actually does change. That's a very rare thing. So I'm, I'm not a raver about this. I like to present it as it is. But there have been a few people whose eye color has changed. Uh, John Rose, who discovered that you could do this, his eyes changed from a, a gray more to a blue. Um, but it does happen. Um, you get really lit up, though. That's for sure. Angela Stokes was my first really prominent client. I told her about juice feasting at a party um, of students at the Tree of Life. I just introduced myself. I had read her blog, 
And the first evening that she met me, she didn't think, oh, I was crazy. Wow, you know, cleansing for 90 days, that sounds pretty out there. And then she talked with more uh, people at the Tree of Life. Of course, they all knew me because I was working with Dr. Cousins and writing with him and coaching and all of that and, um, and a master's graduate. And so she said, oh, wow, this is, this is for real. Like, you guys are saying this is really for real. Oh, yeah, I mean, this is absolutely for real. And so she, she calls me up and she said, you've got to come over, like, right away. I, I've got to hear about this now. This wasn't just some, like, party joke or trick. You weren't just trying to impress me. This is like, you just do this routinely. Yep, I do. And so I told her about it, and she's like, all right, I've got to do this. So I coached her through her 90-day juice feast, and it was, uh, like for many people, it was, it was um, uh, a turning point for her in her life. She'd kind of plateaued uh, on raw vegan, and it took her to her next level um, as a raw vegan. And she blogged about it and had a very popular blog, and that was one of the wonderful catalyzing agents for juice feasting becoming so well-known in the world. Um, I think it took a feminine touch. John and I were very masculine and kind of doing it our way. And Angela comes in like this angel <laughs> yeah, right. and it's already well-known and lovely. And she does it and tells everybody about it almost every day for 90 days. And I mean, it just exploded from there. So we had done the groundwork and I coached her and then she just you know, helped to popularize it um, in a way that John and I just uh, couldn't quite do. Every, all the, uh, the stage was set. We just needed somebody like her to actually talk about it. Now, what, what about at Dr. Cousins? Was there any formalized studies done as part of the research behind um, the protocol? Or would it, have, have, have you guys published anything? Um, I haven't published any. There's, there's not any formal research on juice feasting. There's a lot of formal research on the history of fasting and the practice of fasting, including juice fasting. And so juice feasting is just a, um, is a case like that. Um, it, it gets you the same benefits that you derive from water fasting and juice fasting. It happens over a slightly longer period of time, but it's more sustainable. A water fast you're going to do for one to seven days probably, uh, any longer than that, and you need to see a doctor and make sure you're getting tested. And so most people would never go very long on a water fast if they were uninitiated and cleansing. Juice fasting also, you pretty much have to stay at home. You don't want to drive a car. Your reflexes are slow. Uh, you could stand up and fall over. Um, because the blood hasn't gotten to your head um, fast enough, um, because your blood really thickens on a fast. With a juice feast, your body's getting everything that it requires, all the calories that it needs. Um, you're extraordinarily well hydrated. Your uh, metabolism is staying up. And so you're, for the most part, you're sharp. You're present. Um, you're fine to drive a car, and pretty much everybody who juice feasts does. And I haven't heard back from anybody in a dozen years, that I was on my juice feast and I got in a car accident. Never. Never happened or bike accident or anything. In fact, you actually get sharper as the juice feast goes. Um, it's one of the things I was writing up the other day, uh, again, is about your photographic memory. Everybody thinks in pictures. Uh, as your brain heals during a juice feast, as you get more well hydrated, more well oxygenated, more micronutrients to the brain, more enzymes to the brain, um, as you sleep more deeply, which happens for almost everybody on a juice feast, um, your ability to visualize improves which kind of bears on what we're going to talk about next in terms of self-actualization. But um, yeah, photographic memory improves. I was actually going to ask you about that, about how this can be a context for self-actualization. I know you bring in some psychological components here. Yeah. So, I mean, we've all got needs. And there's a fascinating guy, which you've probably heard about, Abraham Maslow, who kind of looked at how our needs develop over our lifetime. So as we grow up, and care for more and do more in our lives, I mean, much more than we were at the age of three or five or eight or ten, right? Our needs evolve over time. And so he created this nice growth hierarchy. It's a developmental hierarchy 
of needs um, that develop over our lifetime. And so the first one is this physiological, which you get satisfied, you know, right off the bat, um, your needs to satisfy hunger and thirst. Next, we take care of our safety needs. So hopefully we have a safe home that we grow up in or we've got safe people around us, at least enough safety um, that we're, um, we're not concerned for our safety. So we take care of that need. Next is love and belonging. So after we're fed and nourished and we're feeling safe, we want to feel like we belong to a group. Um, we need, we have a strong human need to be loved and to love. It's part of a larger, um, what, what uh, Ken Wilber, who's a philosopher that I've read for many years now, calls the, the unity project of our lives. We're always seeking unity. Unity with the food that we eat, with the people that we're around, unity with more ideas, more capacities. It's just unity to unity. It's just We just move from unity to unity our whole lives. So love and belonging is part of that unity project. It's a strong need that we have. And after that, we want to feel good about ourselves. So the next stage of, of needs that we have as human beings is self-esteem. So um, we want to feel good about what we're doing and how we are with other people and what we're involved in uh, in our lives, uh, what we encourage. We like to feel good about who we are. So after those needs are met, we can start looking at the second to the last stage of, of needs, according to Maslow. Now, Maslow looked at cultures worldwide, so it didn't matter rich or poor, um, Eastern or Western, um, didn't matter what your dialect was, your cultural background, or your religious background. These needs play out for people worldwide, which is fascinating. So the next need after physiological and being safe and being loved and feeling good about yourself is self-actualization. How can you self-actualize? Um, to self-actualize um, is, is an interesting conversation. And so I thought I'd just read very briefly, because I know we're on, we're, we don't have a lot of time today, but just what Maslow says about who self-actualizing people are. He says they embrace the facts and realities of the world rather than denying or avoiding them. So you're really trying to look at the truth as it comes to you and live by it. Um, Self-actualized people are spontaneous in their ideas and their action. They're, they're creative people. Um, creative at a level that's actually um, uh, challenging them to grow into to new capacities. Um, they're interested in solving problems. This often includes the problems of others. Solving these problems is often a key focus in their lives. They feel a closeness to other people and generally appreciate life. They have a system of morality that is fully internalized and independent of external authority. So, meaning that their morals are not determined by what the popular idea of what's acceptable is. They think for themselves, um, and they probably read a lot of the great thinkers and actors throughout human history, and that informs what their morality is, not just the popular you know, um, uh, waves of the day. They judge others without prejudice in a way that can be termed objective. So they're able to be discerning but not judgmental. It's a fascination with life. So when you self-actualize, you're trying to figure out what it is that you're here to do that nobody else can do. What is your unique self-purpose? And the people in the integral community um, who follow Ken Wilber's work use that term, unique self-purpose, capital U, capital S, capital P. It's not, not just what is... Um, um, authentic for me, but authentic is kind of, you know, I like uh, D chocolate. But your unique self-purpose is, what is it that God put me on this earth to do, if you want to speak in religious terms, that nobody else can do? That if I don't fulfill this, um, I, my, I will just feel like I'm breaking apart in my soul. I absolutely have to do this, whether it's profitable or not, whether it's popular or not. 
Um, whether it's even whether people say it's doable or not, it doesn't matter. I'm here to do this. I have to do this. Now, to reach that level of needs development, to satisfy that need, you've got to be pretty healthy. Uh, you need a good community of people around you. You need to feel safe. You need to have satisfied these lower levels of needs sufficiently enough that you can get to that place of saying, all right, what is it that now, now that those things are taken care of, what am I uniquely here to do? And so I think that what you and I are encouraging, for people to eat authentic, deep, nutritious, health-promoting, life-promoting foods, uh, to get into juicing and cleansing. And so juice feasting is, is right there in, in that domain. What we've been teaching all these years helps to satisfy these lower levels of needs um, in, in incredibly important ways. If you feel sick, you don't feel safe. Uh, if you're in a community of people who are eating life-affirming foods, you're in a good community of people. That feels good. There's a belongingness there, right? You feel self-esteem because... Hey, I'm eating in a way that's trying to, you know, that's hopefully encouraging the solution to these intractable problems that we seem to find ourselves facing right now, right? So, juice feasting and uh, and juice fasting and getting into a plant-based diet, these things I think are very strong life practices that we can apply to fulfill these lower um, uh, earlier levels of needs development as we evolve so that then we can hit that place of um, self-actualization. What is it that I'm uniquely here to do? And there's a level beyond that. She can ask me what that is. What? <laughs> I'm just so <laughs> caught up in everything you're saying because you think about the life work that we're doing and we're trying to help people move towards elevating through this, the very process that Maslow taught about. And when I took this in psychiatry or psychology, when I was in occupational therapy school, I never made the connections like you're like you're bringing it home now. This I, I'm really amazed by that. Nice, yeah. It's um, hmm. yeah. I, I will ask you that question because I was before the interview. I was I said, is that the top level? I was trying to think back. What was that pyramid again? That upside down pyramid. And I thought self actualization yeah. was at the top, but is there something above it? There is, and so in the last ten years of Maslow's life. Now, you've got to remember, this is the 1960s. So people are taking acid. They're doing mushrooms. It's uh, the era of peace. I mean, Earth Day started up in, uh, just in 1970. So the whole ethos of the culture is towards being more sensitive, being more um, open to other cultures, to the human experience. Uh, there's a lot more meditation and Eastern spirituality coming in, New Age spirituality. Uh, so there's just a lot more contemplative practice that's really hitting the scene in the United States. And so Maslow's looking at this and getting a feel for it. It's like, where is this actually heading? What are the, what are the Easterners talking about that we haven't been talking about so much in the West? And um, what he realized was that self-actualization was not the highest level of needs that we could satisfy, that there was something beyond just making the most of yourself for yourself um, finding that unique self-purpose, that that unique self-purpose and that self-actualization could be in service to what he called self-transcendence needs, doing, uh, doing work in your life that is in service to things beyond your own self. Um, so we'd call this post-conventional or transpersonal. Transpersonal sounds really kind of out there, but it just simply means something that's beyond your own person. So... Um, us doing this interview right now, we're doing this because we love doing it, but we do our work because we hope that it benefits all of you who are listening right now and that you'll go out and do something transpersonal, which is keep spreading the word about eating better and how important that is. 
um, that we're at a critical point. So anytime that you do something that's not just helping you but also helps the world at large, that's a transpersonal act. It's an act of self-transcendence. And we get better and better at that as we, as we get older, at least hopefully. Now, a lot of people don't hit self-transcendence needs. They're not really truly actualizing that in a way that is profound. Um, but if you're lucky enough and you know who you are and you know truly why you're here, then you can start to act in a way that benefits large numbers of people that are, um, that are not you. Um, and, and, and actualizing or, or, or fulfilling self-transcendence needs may actually not be in service to your own personal interests. You may say, I feel called to go to Africa and help people over there. I actually don't want to go over there. I like Boston. <laughs> you know, I, I like what I've got in the United States. This is gonna, I've got to leave my family or I've got to leave something behind that I really love. But I just understand that I, I, I know that culture and I understand the situation over there and I'm uniquely suited to help people in a certain way over there and I've got to go. And it may actually um, not be healthy for me, what I've, the, the, what I've got to do. But I have to do this. It's not just my unique self-purpose. It's going to fulfill my self-transcendence needs. I've got to live for other people um, and pass something on. So it's, it's the highest level of needs development that Maslow identified in the last 10 years of his life um, before he died. And you don't see it in a lot of the charts that are online. So it's kind of like this secret thing. We don't tend to talk about self-transcendence um, per se, a lot in, in the United States, in Western society, uh, not using those words. Yet we talk about self-sacrifice and serving a, lar- a greater good all the time. And that's what we're talking about, is fulfilling those self-transcendence needs. So you've got to really be on it with who you are. And again, eating well, uh, doing regular cleansing, you know, keeping your motor tuned is uh, in service to those lower levels of needs development so that then you can actually um, reach that rarefied air up there and at higher levels of development where you can start to think about what am I really here to do and how many people can I, can I help? So if I, yeah, I was, was there was a whole religion around this. I'm trying to think who that was in the sixties or the forties who came here. Self actualization. Wasn't there that the um, autobiography of a Yogi? There was the self realization fellowship. Yes. Um, that was, Yeah. That's what I was thinking of, but it, that was about that kind of thing, wasn't it? Yes. So, and and a lot of Eastern traditions. I mean, if they're really if they're really authentic and, and, and going the way that they um, were designed to go, they are. They're looking at that. Um, most contemplative traditions, whether you look at Christian contemplatives, um, Jewish contemplatives, Muslim contemplatives, Buddhist contemplatives, um, Hindu contemplatives, people who are mystics and really taking their practice as far as they can go, are looking at. How can I include, and this is a very important point, how can I include the self and yet transcend it? How can I use this limited self to the best of its ability to do something uh, that serves more than just itself? And I think it's, it's a big, it's a, it's a whole other conversation you and I could have in another day or as part of another conversation another day, but there's a big um, misunderstanding about Eastern traditions that um, awakening, so to speak, or enlightenment, so to speak, is about letting go of your own self sense, letting go of your ego. And it's actually not about dropping off your ego and not having a separate self. It's that you don't solely identify with just your own self. You've decided to open up your own circle of care and compassion and love and action to something far, far more than yourself. So it's including and transcending your own self instead of transcending and negating your own self. You're not negating your ego. You're including it. That ego, that healthy ego, that 
ego that's had all of its needs satisfied is what higher order thinking filters through, and and um, and that's how action happens in the world. We want really healthy egos out there serving the greater good, and so um, you know that that's what you and I are into. That's why we're encouraging what we're encouraging. And I, I'm so grateful to have this conversation today. I love talking about this kind of thing. I could talk to you for hours, as it turns out, and I've done hundreds of interviews through the years. This is definitely up there with one of my favorites. So thank you, David. And there's so many other areas I want to go into with you. And I want to bring you back on the show um, next year, definitely early in the year, and talk about some of the other concepts that we discussed before the interview, because it, we're not going to get to it now, because this has gone a lot deeper. And and it's so exciting. I want to talk to you more about it. I mean, from a personal aspect and, and how this is a portal, how we, and the best way to influence others to, to bring them into this. Cause it's not just about here, try juicing, you'll lose weight. Cause often that's what will bring someone into this, but it's really about this deep work we're talking about, isn't it? It is. There's gotta be a fire there. I mean, in your soul to do it. Um, you know, sometimes if you're really sick, it is actually enough. To, I've just got to get well. Um, that can be the driving force, but it won't drive you over your lifetime. You've got to find mm. something uh, that's that's more all-encompassing long-term. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to bring David into the Juice Guru certification program. So if you're a coach and you're listening, don't worry. We're going to go deeper with his teachings and bring his concepts into our program, and that'll be happening early in the next year. So stay tuned for that. David Rainishek, thank you again for being here. Um, I guess everything lines up at the right time. It didn't happen eight or nine years ago, but it happened now. Steve Prusak, you are right on, man. I am so glad to talk with you today. Thank you for hosting this. Oh, I loved it. And I'm sure if I loved it, everyone listening loved it. So thank you for generously sharing your wisdom and research and just distilling it down to a, a level that and chunking it so we can all really grasp it and understand it. I, I really enjoyed this interview. And I... Uh, I, I am in gratitude, as everyone is. We're going to have the website up at Juice Guru under show notes for Juice Guru Radio with David Ranishek. David, thank you again for being here, and uh, we'll see you next time in the next episode of Juice Guru Radio. I'm Steve Prusak. Thanks for listening. Juice Guru Radio. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at JuiceGuruRadio.com. Until next time, get your juice on.